And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Of course, we celebrated the Feast of the Ascension last week, and of course that is in preparation for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And uh, these, again, events of salvation history are really what the entire Christian year is about, continually uh, repeating over and over again these magnificent events of salvation history. And that's why we have, of course, a liturgical calendar. Join me right now to talk about the uh, Ascension and Pentecost and the relationship between the two. And in fact, we'll look at the resurrection, too, uh, in its relationship to the Ascension and Pentecost. Is Father Thomas Wynandy. He's a prolific writer, one of the most uh, prominent living theologians, serving as a member of the Vatican's International Theological Commission. His uh, book, Jesus Becoming Jesus, a theological interpretation of the Synoptic Gospels, we've looked at before, and it's a pleasure to have you with me again, Father. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Al. It's great to be with you again. In reading Jesus Becoming Jesus, uh, I came across something I hadn't seen before and makes tremendous sense to me, and that is the relationship between the resurrection and ascension. And you mentioned that the resurrection and ascension are actually one act, though portrayed uh, separately. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's right. When Jesus rose from the dead, uh, when the Father raised him from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, he was raised as a glorious human being. He was still a human being, but now he was gloriously risen. Death no longer had any authority over him. He would never die again. He was filled with the fullness of life of the Holy Spirit, and he was glorified. And so in raising Jesus from the dead, the Father it not only brought him back to life bodily, but that resurrection was a taking him up into heaven. He now shared in the Father's heavenly risen life. Mm -hmm. And so they're basically one act. The resurrection and ascension go together, because in raising him glorious from the dead, he, he actually set Jesus down at the right hand of the Father. Uh, and so they're one act, but the reason we have, in a sense, the resurrection, and then the 40 days later, Jesus ascending into heaven, is because I think Jesus was trying to teach us that there's two aspects, two truths to the resurrection. Mm -hmm. The first 40 days, you know, he was appearing to his disciples, and he wanted to show his disciples that uh, he was a risen, glorious, bodily man. And, and, and so, you know, he ate with them, and he spoke with them, and, you know, he worked the miracle of, you know, with Peter about catching these 300 and some fish. Mm -hmm. But the whole point was to show that he was really alive bodily, and so he, people could touch him. You know, Thomas wanted to make sure right. that it was the same Jesus who died, that, that it was the same Jesus who rose from the dead. And so those first 40 days, Jesus was really revealing the, the notion of his bodily glorious resurrection. But then after the 40 days, he visibly ascended into heaven. And the ascending into heaven is, is the, the teaching us and the disciples that because of his resurrection, he is the Lord of lords, he's the King of kings, he reigns in heaven as as the Lord of the whole cosmos, the Lord of the whole world, the Lord of his church, as the risen Jesus. As the risen Jesus, Jesus resides in the heavenly realm, in the heavenly temple of his, his Father, as, as the true Lord and Savior of the world. And so uh, it's these two aspects that are contained in the resurrection, but 
Jesus wanted to make sure we grasp both of them. Once that he was truly bodily alive, gloriously a man, and because he was truly alive, bodily resurrected as a man, he is the Lord of glory who has ascended to the throne of his Father to be the, the Lord and Savior of our lives. That's tremendous. Uh, and is that why, within the Gospels, he never appears to anyone after his resurrection in his resurrected glory? He's always in a physical bodily form, so... That's right. Yeah. Okay. Now, it would, it would seem, though, there might be one exception, and that's when he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. But there he sort of, he, he revealed both, you know? He appeared as the, you know, glorious light that in the, in the end bl- physically blinded right, Paul. Right, right. But he was in, when Paul says, you know, who are you, Lord? He knew he was in the presence of the Lord, but he wasn't sure who the Lord was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, you know, I am Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. Uh, and so Paul realizes that the, the person who's speaking to him is the glorious resurrected Jesus, who now the shining light reveals the heavenly glory yes. that he now, now possesses. In fact, while we're there, this actually touches on Pentecost, Jesus asks Paul, why are you persecuting me? In indicating, I assume, that Christ's body on earth, the church, he identifies with that. So while Paul's running around persecuting Christians, Jesus experiences it as Paul persecuting him. That's a good point that you bring up, because the Ascension and Pentecost and the Resurrection, in a sense, all fit together, Mm -hmm. and they all, in a sense, not only pertain to who Jesus is, but to who we are. And the reason I say that is that when we come to faith in Jesus, and when Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit upon the Church, and the Church is born into the new life of the Holy Spirit, and when we become members of this church through faith and baptism, we are united to the risen Jesus, the risen Jesus who's ascended into heaven, and we form one living body with him because we all share now in the one living spirit. Mm -hmm. And so we already share here and now because of baptism, because Jesus on Pentecost poured out his Holy Spirit, we already share in his risen humanity, and so we share in his risen glory. We are taken up, we ascend yeah. to be united with Jesus, who is the risen glorious Lord. And so at Pentecost, you know, Jesus sort of performs his definitive act where he truly becomes Jesus in a way, because he gives us the gift of salvation, which is the Holy Spirit that purifies us from sin, makes us holy. We share with Jesus uh, adopted sonship so that his father becomes our father. We can cry out, Abba, Father, Mm -hmm. with him. And so in the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. It's the first down payment, as Paul says, uh, whereby we have assurance that we're going to rise from the day gloriously too. And in our resurrection is our ascension. You know, when we see, like, for for example, Michelangelo's painting of the Last Judgment, those bodies coming out of the tombs are immediately rising. Our resurrection is our rising up to Christ as well, sharing in his complete resurrection and ascension before his Father's throne. 
Yeah. Again, is this why in St. Paul's teaching in Ephesians, he talks about us being seated with Christ in heavenly places? In other words, That's right. in, in, in some way, by virtue of our baptism, we are identified with Jesus and actually occupy a presence in heavenly places with him already. Is that what? That's that's right. You know, when, you know, Paul's when he teaches about baptism, he says we sacramentally undergo what Jesus did in reality. Right. Jesus right. on the cross put our sinful humanity to death. The old Adam humanity that all of us inherited included Jesus, including Jesus. And on the cross, he put that humanity to death, but then he rose from the dead as the glorious new Adam, the father of a new human race. And so in baptism, we are joined to Christ's death, and we're joined to his resurrection so that now we live in the new Adam through the Holy Spirit. The, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit recreates us into Jesus' glorious likeness. He who has the new nature as the new Adam, we share in that new humanity, and we become one mature man in Christ. And so we're, 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 we're taken up in him. But that what's acted sacramentally is the same thing that happened to Jesus in the cross and resurrection ascension in his own, own life. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, I noticed in the close of the Gospel of Luke that it says, while he was uh, blessing them, Jesus, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. So can we assume by this act of uh, worship that this is also an affirmation of Jesus' divinity? That's right. I mean, they, they, you know, Peter, before Jesus' resurrection, said, you are Christ, the Son of the right. living God. So they, they knew Jesus was God, but the resurrection manifested. It's like it, 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 the transfiguration was sort of prefigurement of this. In the resurrection, we see the full divinity of Jesus shining forth through his humanity. It's through his humanity that we come to to glimpse, to gaze upon his full divinity, because his his humanity now, through the Holy Spirit, is is taken up into his divinity in the fullness of way that we can we can. To, to, there, there's no doubt now. That that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, and the glory of the resurrection reveals the full divinity of Jesus, and that's what the Father wanted him to reveal in the resurrection ascension was the that who this Jesus, who this man is, is truly his his divine Son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this it um, it's remarkable because it, if I I hadn't thought about this, but he he did not. I would have thought that when he emerged from the tomb, that uh, he would have appeared to his disciples like he did at the moment of transfiguration, in glory. Yes, <laughs> isn't that interesting? Yeah, yes, that he is. That, that, he does. He, you know, if when the first forty days, the only hint, in a sense, we get of that there's something you know, absolutely glorious about this is the angels at the tomb. That shows that, the heavenly element. Yeah, isn't that something? But, yeah. But 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 when he appears to them, you know, there is in a, in a sense no display of glory. It's the humanity yep. that's being manifested, you know, even to the point of, you know, 
He could eat, still eat. He wants a piece of fish. Right, right. Uh, broiled fish at that. <laughs> he, he, yeah, broiled at that, yes. <laughs> Over charcoals, if it could be right, possible. Right, <laughs> as, he did, as he did on the seashore. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but so it, but so that that, that uh, it's only you know once he confirms the, his true bodily risenness that in the ascension he reveals the glory of of this resurrection, you know. Yeah. And of course the angels are there too, you know, uh, saying you know as he went up he will come down again in glory, you know. Uh, but yes, you're you're right. I mean. Uh, uh, you know, the, the marvel is that he's risen bodily, but you don't see in his risen bodily appearances immediately after the right, resurrection. Right, right. His full, fullness of his glory. Father, hold it there. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back on the other side. And I also want to uh, look at this in light of world religions and how distinct Jesus is. Uh, I saw you wrote on that in the Catholic World Report. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father Thomas Winandy. Uh, he is uh, author, most recently, of Jesus Becoming Jesus, a Theological Interpretation of the Synoptic Gospels. We've been looking at the relationship between the resurrection, the ascension, and Pentecost. And you published with Catholic World Report this week an article which was headlined, Pope Francis, the Uniqueness of Christ and the Will of the Father. And you were addressing a question that came up with the uh, signing of a, a co-signing of a document uh, on February 4th, uh, when Pope Francis was in uh, Abu Dhabi. And uh, the document stated, quote, the pluralism and the diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom through which he created human beings, end of quote. And that raised all kinds of questions. Uh, in what sense would God have willed the diversity of religions, especially when, in the instance of Islam, for instance, Islam's core creed is an actual denial of the divinity of Jesus? Yes, it is, it is problematic. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of discussion in recent years over the pluralism of religions and Jesus and Christianity in the midst of all of that. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know exactly in what way Francis, Pope Francis in his own mind meant when he signed the statement that says, you know, God willed all religions. Uh, did, did, did God will all religions, uh, in exactly the same way. Right. So, for example, did he will Jesus to be the founder of Christianity? And did he positively, in the same manner, will Muhammad to be the founder of Islam? Right. Uh, and, and it strikes me that this cannot be the case, that God's positive will, what he really wanted, was Jesus to found Christianity, and uh, Muhammad to found Islam, or Buddha to found Buddhism, or some other religious founder to found another religion. Uh, and I think it strikes at the very heart of, of, of the gospel uh, and can confuse people, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, is one religion as good as another? Right. Is one founder the same as another? 
And, and this is very, very unfortunate, and I think very sad, especially in the light that Christians believe that, you know, they should love Jesus supremely, you know? Right. That's right. Uh, and, and now, you know, well, should I love Muhammad as well as Jesus? Right. You know, well, you, you, uh, so, um, uh, would, would you like me to explain a little bit what I think the, the issues are here? I do. I, I mean, the the back in I guess it was around the year two thousand, the Con- Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith published Dominus Jesus, which was actually right. the focus of that document was on the uniqueness of Christ, and right. uh, so this is actually in a way in a way confusing the issue that Dominus Jesus was published uh, to clarify. That's exactly right. Dominus Jesus was written precisely to show that that Jesus and Christianity is unique among all the other religions. And and it did so because, trying to clarify that Jesus and Christianity and the Church is unique, uh, was to ensure that people evangelize. If, 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 If one religion is as good as the other, then then, you know, Christians should not go out and evangelize. You know, right. the apostles should have not went out and, and evangelized the whole world. Um, and I saw that, that there's, we have to make some, some very important distinctions here, I think. Um, I think we have to see what the difference is between Jesus and, say, other founders of religion, such as Muhammad or Buddha, for example, uh, Muhammad and Buddha and other founders of religion only give knowledge. They tell people something that they don't know. Uh, so, you know, Muhammad said, well, if you want to have the right relationship with the Lord, you've got to do this, that, and the other thing. Or mm-hmm. Buddha, that you, have to, you should do this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus doesn't just give us religious knowledge. Right. He does teach us things. But, you know... What Jesus does is fulfill the Old Testament, and the old and God in the Old Testament made a covenant. He God acted in such a way that He made a covenant with the Jewish people that the Jewish people now had a relationship with God that was unique that nobody else had. All right, and so Jesus now, when God the Father sent His Son into the world to become man, Jesus performed acts, and those acts that he performed, specifically death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, the things we were just talking about, established a different kind of relationship with the Father, with God, in right. the Holy Spirit, that was not possible prior to Jesus' actions. Right. So he doesn't just give us new knowledge, he actually acts in such a way that sin is overcome, death is overcome, we are made holy in the Holy Spirit, so that we can now have a relationship that was with the Father that was not possible prior to Jesus' coming into the world. And also, Muhammad and Buddha, while they, as you point out, they give knowledge, they don't establish themselves at the center of the cult. Um, that's, that's Jesus right. puts exactly himself right. at the center. Both, that's why we worship what, Jesus. Yeah, That's right. In Islam, Muhammad is a prophet. Right. For Christians, Jesus is not a prophet. And the only he's the Son of God. And the only way we can reap the benefits that Jesus won for us, that is the forgiveness of sins, the new life in the Holy Spirit, the resurrection, 
is if we are united to him. No other religion right. says, you know, you have to be united to Muhammad to get to heaven, or you have to be united to Buddha to get right. to heaven. Right. But in Christianity, because Jesus is the Son of God who is the risen, risen Lord, as we just said, we are part of his body to reap the benefits of his salvation, we must be united to him, because it's only in him, by being united to him, that our sins are forgiven. It's only by being united to him that we ascend into the presence of the Father. It's only in him that we have eternal life. It's only in him that our resurrection is is is, is guaranteed. And so, the whole that's a very unique relationship. There's no other kind of relationship like it in the world. Right. Or in in reality, period. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is is this relationship between Christian believers and Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And so there's it's a radical. It's not the same, you know, as as any other religion. The other other religions are all Gnostics, except Gnostic in the sense that they get saving supposed supposedly saving knowledge. But only Judaism and Christianity are religions where we see God acting in a manner that changes our whole relationship with him. Yeah. In, in, in the article you quote from uh, St. John Paul II's encyclical, uh, Redemptoris Missio, in which he writes, it is precisely this uniqueness of Christ which gives him an absolute and universal significance, whereby, while belonging to history, he remains history's center and goal. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and That's the right. end. And uh, yeah. that claim is not made by Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna, or anybody right. else. Yeah. yeah, And that's right. In the letter to the Ephesians, uh, the beautiful hymn at the beginning of the letter to the Ephesians, he said, God, God, you know, even before the world began, we were predestined to live in Christ, you know? Yes. And he's, he, 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 that whole hymn uh, concludes, climaxes, uh, reaches its crescendo where he says, Paul says, you know, we've now, God the Father has now revealed the mystery to us, the eternal mystery, that all things would be united to Christ. Everything, the whole of creation, human beings, the whole new creation is united to to Jesus. And because of that, as it says in Philippians, you know, every knee should bow and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, not not Mohammed or Buddha, only Jesus is Lord. And we proclaim Jesus as Lord to the glory of God the Father, because that is what the Father willed, that Jesus should be the Lord of all. When, when the Pope signs a document like this, to what degree is that binding on the conscience of uh, Catholics? Well, <clears throat> I don't think it's binding at all, in a sense, because we're not sure what the Pope actually meant by right, signing right, that right. document. It's indeterminate. Uh, you know, you, you, you would think he did not really mean that Muhammad is just as important right. as Jesus is, <laughs> right. or Islam is just as true of religion as Christianity is. You can't po- possibly believe that that's what Francis meant. Right. Uh, but but one thing's for sure, not even a pontiff, uh, you know, throughout, no pope throughout history 
can undo the Father's will. <laughs> right. Uh, right. No, right. No, no pope can overrule God the Father. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, so you know, I think you, you'd have to say that what we have to believe is what has traditionally been proclaimed in Scripture throughout the whole of Scripture. Yeah. Uh, we just touched upon a few tidbits. Uh, but the whole of Scripture tells us that, you know, to live in Christ is to live in the kingdom of God, and, and we're going to live in him for all eternity, you know? Yes. So that's 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 what we—that's the assurance of our faith. That's the assurance of our faith, not some indeterminate, ambiguous statement right. that right. was signed in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, reality is non-negotiable. <laughs> and, and, that's right. And what, ha- what Jesus—the uh, salvation history, the climax of salvation history in the— uh, ascension and seating of Christ at the right hand of the Father, the giving of this Holy Spirit, and eventually his coming again uh, to fulfill the kingdom on earth. Those are not just opinions. Those are actual, as you That's said right. earlier, uh, that actually has changed the relationship uh, between mm-hmm. the human uh, and uh, the divine. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And only God could do something like that. You right. Know? right. We, can try, we can come up with our own philosophical religious theories but only god can change the way we relate to him you know very good well let me thank you father i greatly appreciate you being with me again today and uh for sharing with us i've always appreciate i'm happy always to speak it's an honor to, to 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 be on your program it's marvelous thank you so much father Father Thomas Wynandy, again, uh, it's a a fantastic book, one that bears uh, reading carefully and with meditation, Jesus Becoming Jesus, a theological interpretation of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, I'm finding insight in this book that I had not seen before uh, in the uh, New Testament. I'm Al Creston.